San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your coach, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, LA County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFB or tune in radio, you can hear this show as it airs on any device. And of course, all these podcasts are commercial free on iwaymoney.com and Apple Podcasts if you search the title of the show. Now, time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinary, accomplished marathon runner, uh, best selling author, lecturer, philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing great, Joe. Enjoying this heat wave. Well, it hasn't all been all that hot, but uh, I guess, okay. well, of course, we taped the show earlier in the week, so maybe by the time it airs Saturday, there'll be some more heat out there. But anyway, got to congratulate former guest of this show, uh, Vince Bartolotta Jr., accomplished uh, trial attorney, um, as you may, as you know, Richard, right? We know that well. Yes, and uh, he was just inducted into the International Trial Lawyers Hall of Fame. Uh, I was there at the Prado to see it happen, and of course, he's the incoming president of the San Diego Nice Guys and um, it's a great honor for him. So congratulations, Vince. Um, it was great seeing you, and that was a wonderful night, uh, hearing all the speeches, your, your talk, and, of course, uh, uh, your son made a, some very uh, emotional remarks, and I saw you got choked up there, which doesn't happen too often with a, with a lawyer. That's <laughs> well, good. We have a lot of guests who yeah. made various halls of fame. Yes. But uh, without further delay, because we have a very important guest, uh, if uh, – if you have not heard the name of this guest and have never been to Humphreys, then you must be living under a rock or just arrived here yesterday because this guy was, did a legendary job of programming all the acts uh, for, for about 23 years. He's got a great, great book called Off My Rocker. Named it after you, Joe. And uh, very funny, Richard. Anyway, it's uh, one man's tasty, twisted, star-studded quest for every, everlasting music. Uh, it is a page-turner. Uh, it's... <laughs> If you want to see the uh, the underside and the top side and every side of the entertainment business, so you got to get this book. His name is Kenny Weisberg. Kenny, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Richard. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, and not only that, you're a pr- pretty well known. Um, Radio personality in San Diego. You were on the air for how many years and how many stations? I was on the air for 14 years, from '93 to t- uh, 2007. Uh, boy, on on five stations doing a show called Music Without Boundaries, which mm-hmm. I, I still to this day can't believe some of the program directors that let me do my thing because uh-huh. uh, I programmed the whole show and a lot of it was uh, African-American uh, world music, world yeah. music yeah. Uh, bluegrass. Uh, it was it was a hodgepodge. We used to call it freeform radio yeah. in the 70s. And there, there were four or five program directors that let me run with it. And yeah. I had a great time. Well, uh, I was one of your biggest fans because I knew every time I'd turn it on, I'd pick up something new that was great. I don't know where you that found I wouldn't hear anywhere else. Where did you find all these guys, Kenny, all these acts? I mean, was it just, uh, were, were people sending you material or were you digging through Tower Records or? Oh, uh, everything. I, I'm a lifelong uh, music junkie and musicologist. Uh-huh. Uh, I, would, I would go to FNAC Records in, uh, 
in Paris uh, on, a, on a vacation and spend $3,000 on CDs of groups I had never heard of. You know, you should get into the TV and film business and be a musicologist because uh, they're always looking for interesting music for films and TV, and that might be another little hobby for you. How about that? Well, uh, I'll we talk can... to you after the show. <laughs> Set me up. I've got some other ideas for you, too, because after reading this book, I'm telling you, there's, there's too much talent and too much history here to, um, to let lie fallow for too, too long. So, But, um, Kenny, tell everybody, uh, we grew up on the East Coast of New Jersey. Tell us about your uh, youth a little bit, where you went to, grew up and where you went to school, and uh, then we'll, we'll take the story from there. Okay, well, I, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, and moved to South Orange when I was uh, one year old. It's about a half an hour outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. And I grew up listening to AM radio. Uh, it was Top 40, but Top 40... Uh, back in the in, in the fifties and early sixties and leading up to the Beatles and the British invasion, it, it was just, th and there was no FM then, right? No, there was no FM. Yeah. FM came like later in the sixties, late sixties. Mm -hmm. uh, but AM radio, I'm telling you, was was just sensational. And I started uh, buying forty fives when I was eight years old. I, I think the first one I bought was "Love Me Tender" by Elvis. Mm -hmm. My parents used to give me like fifty cents a week allowance, and I would immediately uh, buy a forty five. I would buy the Crests, the Jarmels. And who were the big the, DJs in New York at the time? Wasn't it Murray the K and Murray the, the K, K Alan, Alan Freed? Um, the one that I listened to that I loved the most was Peter Tripp, who called himself the Curly Headed Kid in the Third Row, <laughs> and he would do the Top Forty Countdown long before Casey Kasem. He would do the Top Forty Countdown on Wednesdays and I would sit in uh, a room with my Philco transistor and uh, write on my mother's discarded stationery the list of, of the top 40 <laughs> and he would go and up five slots to number 13 this week and I would yell out the Jarmels <laughs> you know because I had had the list right. from last week so early on I decided I wanted to be a disc jockey yeah. when I was eight years old. So uh uh, grade school, uh, high school in uh, in New Jersey, and then uh, how did you choose University of Wisconsin? Well, uh, I I think it sort of chose me. I, uh, I I the one thing I hated about growing up on the East Coast was the weather. Mm. Uh, I never adapted to cold weather or snow or hurricanes or whatever it was. And I said I want to go south, and so I actually got into Tulane and North Carolina and University of Virginia actually. But when I went to those schools for my interviews. Uh, I, I, it was uh, the, the accents of the people on campus. I mm. couldn't get on, on top of a southern accent, I, as charming as they are. Any I, Confederate flags around? <laughs> <laughs> there, there must have been. I, I, I wasn't cognizant of that then. But uh, the only northern school I had applied to was Wisconsin. In was Madison. Actually, this is in yeah, Madison, right? In Madison. The it was, Badgers, Joe. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was my last choice, but it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened. Well, what a, an emotional experience you had with the Otis Redding concert. You want to tell us about that? Yes. I mean, and that was one of the and pivotal. That's how the book starts out. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's one of the pivotal experiences in my life, uh, the epiphanies. Uh, I was a huge Otis Redding fan, and uh, he was coming to... Uh, a place called The Factory in Madison on December 10th, 1967, and tickets went on sale in September, and I ran down, and they were $3 in advance, $4 at the door, so I got my ticket in advance. Those were the days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was about a 1,500-seat club, and so I, I wanted to get there first. Uh, it was a freezing cold day, so we, we, uh, my friends and I got there first so that we, it was general admission so we could cram up by the stage and have Otis sweat on us. <laughs> and uh, the show was supposed to be at 6.30. The, the doors were supposed to open at 6, and the doors didn't open. And uh, then at 6.30, the doors didn't open. At 7 o'clock, and people were wondering what's going on. 
And then they came to the door with a placard that said Otis Redding had been in a plane crash. Mm, perished, and yeah. and perished yeah. uh, on his way to s- see us in, in Madison. Mm. And I cried myself to sleep that night and uh, decided that I was going to spend the rest of my life devoted to music, and yeah. I did. Well, he still remained a big factor in your life. There was um, some, some music released posthumously that became very big of his, right? Well, he had recorded Dock of the Bay, sitting on the Dock of the Bay, yeah. two days before he died. Isn't that something? He did two or three takes of it, and, and they released take number one, and it became the biggest hit of his career, unfortunately. Yeah. He wasn't around to, to see that. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, I still I have every single Otis Redding album ever released on vinyl. I have every CD. I have every compilation. So he's remained a very... Do you, do you have important. a big vinyl collection at home? Or? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, when I moved to... From because I want to tell you, uh, you know, those things are worth money, probably. Yeah, you know, I haven't had anyone uh, assess the, the value of it. I, I, I wanted to own a radio station at one point when I lived in Boulder. So I had 30,000 vinyl well, there's still tr- there's still time <laughs> uh, our, our buddy uh, joe here wants to own one too okay we're, we're about 15 million short <laughs> no well, yeah. no you get them for a song these days right anyway, when i moved to san diego i held on to 3,000, and they're, they're, they're still uh, if you if you go to my facebook page kenny weisberg you can see my rumpus room and all the vinyl ag- against the wall yeah it's amazing uh this guy's career uh he's done everything music critic radio personality dj uh journalist you even fronted for a rock band for three and a half years right yeah i I had my own band called kenny and the critics yeah this is all in the book and and it's really really terrific but um yeah i highly recommend it the book when it was when was it released kenny it was released in september of 2013 so it's about to celebrate its fourth birthday that's when all great books were released (laughs) september of 2013 just like mine so kenny how did you make your way to colorado uh i uh, after I finished school in Wisconsin, I, I decided that I wanted to live without winter. And mm-hmm. I ended up in Santa Barbara. And okay. this, this well, is that in qualifies. the book. Yeah, but we have to take a little time. Oh, we do. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're coming up we'll on our back. break. We're going to go back with Kenny Weisberg, who booked Humphreys by the Bay for all those great years. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sitting in the morning sun. There we go. I'll be sitting in the evening. There's Otis Redding, one of. Kenny Weisberg's inspirations recorded two days before he died in 1967. Who else? Who, who knew that? We're talking with Kenny Weisberg, disc jockey, music critic, rock and roll singer, band leader, concert promoter. What else? And great author of this book, this bio, biographical book of his, autobiographical, I should say, Off My Rocker. You got to get it, folks. Get over to Amazon or wherever you, wherever you get your books. Before we go back in time, I need to know how Kenny got to... We're gonna Colorado. get the, because we're, I'm I'm actually in Colorado. I get that, Richard. Hearing. But we gotta go. We gotta start with Europe because at first oh, okay. his parents offered him a trip to Europe. He turned it down initially when he was in college, and then uh, what are you off your rocker? But then, <laughs> <laughs> but then he and his brother, you did get to go, and that was a pivotal trip for you because you got to see the Rolling Stones for free in London. About what? 600,000 people, something like that. Yeah, about 650,000 <laughs> was <laughs> the es- estimate. I, it was it was all coincidental. I mean, uh, the trip was supposed to be with my parents and brother and sister, but th- my mother said that I would have to wear a, cer- a sh- shirt and tie uh, to every meal and dress up to go to the museums. And I said, no, I'm not dressing up. To, uh, <laughs> and she said, well, then the trip is off. 
And uh, she said, the only way you can go to Europe is if you go by yourself and take your, your kid brother, who was 17 at the time. And we had the, the times of our lives. Probably worked out better that way. Oh, huh? it much. You uh, probably wouldn't have gotten to see the Rolling Stones if you are with your folks, right? You know, we, we got to London, I think, on July 1st of 1969. And Brian Jones had just died. Um, and the Rolling Stones were supposed to do a free concert in Hyde Park, and they were, had the new guitarist, Mick Taylor. Mm. And uh, there was talk that they were going to call it off because of, of Brian Jones' death, but they put it on anyway, and it was, uh, it was quite an unbelievable afternoon. There was a, a new band opening for the Stones that had never p- performed before called King Crimson uh, with Robert Fripp and Greg Lake. And, Great band. And, and they, uh, th- their debut performance was in front of 650,000 <laughs> people, so mm-hmm. I, I consider myself very lucky. Well, what do you do that. after that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you go to Woodstock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was your question. Did you get back in time now, for Woodstock? Ken, now, Kenny, you share a lot of personal information. I mean, you certainly loved women. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. I did. <laughs> My God. I mean, it, 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 you're very, very telling, the, the book. Um, now, the Woodstock, apparently you had a friend who uh, knew the Grossingers or something, and, and were, you actually got a hotel room, which was fun. Uh, in a- yeah, I had, I had gone on a teen tour with uh, a woman named Su- a girl named Susan Edis. She was 15 at the time, and her grandmother was Jenny Grossinger, mm-hmm. who owned the famous resort r- really close to uh, Bethel, New York, where Woodstock uh, was held. Mm-hmm. And I called her up, and I, uh, I said, do you think you could get me and my girlfriend into Grossinger's? <laughs> and she said, well, I can't do that, but I know a bed and breakfast down the street. And so she gave us all this back road information so we were never caught in traffic. We never slept out in the rain. We would go home and to, to a bed and breakfast. And uh, I, I said to myself, you know, there's no such thing as a yuppie yet, but I'm a freaking yuppie. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the irony is uh, you, you stuck around for uh, Jimi Hendrix and Sean and I the last day, right? I didn't. You didn't? I, no, it was just I, I, I looked on, on Sunday morning. We went back with the intention of staying there, but our blankets and our jackets, oh, it was, our our stuff is still there. (laughs) Buried somewhere. (laughs) Blankets, jackets, shirts, food, whatever we left over. And so I I didn't see Hendrix. Only 5,000 people. Well, that, there yeah, because I mean, it, by the end of that, because it was like the th- the third morning or whatever. But uh, the keyboardist for Shanana is Dr. Joe um, Whitkin, who's in Del Mar. I don't know if you ever met him, but uh, some, I, I haven't. I know who he is. Okay, though. great. So uh, that's a that's a great a great story. So that you got the music bug, obviously, after London and Woodstock, and now you get to Boulder and start getting on radio and whatever, right? Yeah, I. Uh, I I was training to be a lawyer. I was a sociology major, and I was supposed to take the law boards uh, in 1969. And and the day before the law boards, I I took what was called white lightning. It was a a, a thing of a tab of LSD. And uh, all I could see on this trip was if you do well on the law boards, you have to go to law school. It's another three years of school. All you've done in your life is go to school. So I said, uh, you know, so I called my parents while I was tripping and, and I said, I'm not taking the law boards. And, and they uh, acquiesced. And I never went back to school. I ended up s- sort of accidentally in Boulder. Uh, it's a long story. It's in the book. But I, mm-hmm. I, I ended up there. And the f- one of the first things I did was find the Progressive FM underground radio station. And I, I befriended the morning man. I just made a point of becoming his friend. 
and I lied about all this previous radio experience I, I had yeah. had. I said I had done four years of college radio. I had done a year in Santa Barbara. Uh, the truth of the matter was I had never even been inside of a radio station in, in my life. And he said, well, you're, su- you're more experienced than the other substitutes. Let's get your name on the list to <laughs> substitute and do a show. And, and uh, three months later, I was the morning man doing drive time in Now, Boulder, you needed Colorado. an FCC third-class license. Now, how come we uh, – did they do away with all these requirements? I, I, I think they did. I, I, uh, back when I uh, – Because Richard and I don't have one. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> unlicensed, Joe. <laughs> I, I had to go to the FCC in Denver and uh, – for the test yeah. and it, it's like a driver's test uh, there are probably like 20 or 30 questions and you had to cajole the lady to send you she, she wanted to wait six weeks for the results right and, and i said i have a job offer <laughs> and if i if i don't get my license tomorrow i have to move back to new jersey because i have no way of supporting myself here and she was from new jersey that and she was said her, yeah. I'll, I'll rush it to the top you, of the list you hit a nerve but lucky you know lucky you uh, you did that so but uh, and you were in Boulder on radio for how long? And then, of course, you met this other fellow, Brent, who I don't even know if that's his right name. That's, but that's not his real name. <laughs> <laughs> you got to read him. So um, talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, folks. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> it, I, I I was on the radio in Boulder for twelve years, and being on the radio led to everything else. There were a couple of uh, newspaper and magazine editors that listened to my show thought I had a lot to say about music, convinced me that I could be writing about it, and so they hired me to do reviews and record reviews and features. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also led to um, me being in a band and yeah. uh, uh, it, it, because I was writing about these great musicians in Boulder. And uh, I decided at age 32, I had never been in a band. I decided to go for it, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by the best musicians in Boulder, including Mark Andes, uh, who was the bass player for Spirit, Firefall, Jojo Gun, and Heart. And, and he was the first musician to, to join up and help me uh, live out my fantasy. So now how much was cover and how much was original? It was, was, I, it was 90% cover, yeah. but they were so obscure, most of them, that uh, people Thought assumed that I, I, I wrote them. But I, yeah. I would give credit on stage to the writers. It's so sort now, of like Sinatra. So now these are on YouTube, you say, some of this work. And uh, is it on your website, too, if you go to media? Or anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you go to KennyWeisberg.com, and Weisberg is W-E-I-S-S-B-E-R-G.com, there's a link to my uh, uh, YouTube videos yeah. of Kenny and the Critics, uh, recorded in 1981 and 82. It's a very cool website. with It looks like an amp at the top. And of course, that's where all the, the, uh, the, the menus are up there, or the tabs. Uh, maybe I shouldn't use that word tab, Kenny. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> buttons. Let's call them buttons. But... Um, you're making two bucks an hour doing AM drive, right? Oh, I, I, I wish. Joe, that was a fortune back then. Dollar sixty. Yeah. I never got the raise to two. I, I, I started doing what a lot of people do now. I, I brokered the time for the last three or four years. I paid $250 uh, a week for my four-hour show, and then I'd, I'd hit the pavements at noon and start selling ads yeah. to the local car people and uh, the restaurants. And but, but a minute after the break, the Jim Croce story is phenomenal because you had an, ori- an, an initial uh, negative opinion because you said like his one hit wonder on AM, but then he came to your, your studio and played for two hours for you. With yeah, his, and, yeah. Um, that was an amazing day. And I, I, I ended up... Uh, Did you record be, that show? Or you I, I didn't. I, I was so... I was doing the, the club owner a favor because I didn't really like You Don't Mess Around With Jim. Yeah. You Don't Talk On Super. Manscape. I thought it was a novelty song. It but was when cute. you heard Operator and some of these other oh, when, when he showed up with Maury Mulize and then they started playing acoustically, I, I told them in advance they I only had time for them to do one song. 
and they, the first song, my jaw hit the ground. They were so good. Yeah, uh, great guitarists. What song was vocalists. that? Do you remember? Do you remember the song? It was, uh, it was Operator. Yeah. It was Operator. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and then they just kept singing one great song after another. And I, I, yeah, I think his arrangements might have been a little more sophisticated than Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, you know, the, he was a major talent. So anyway, we'll be back with Kenny Weisberg of Humphreys by the Bay fame and, and much more than that. Stay tuned. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors. Couldn't do the show without them. Well, we could. We just wouldn't have any money. UBS, big thank you to you guys. Also, if you want some accountants that will make your numbers sing, hey, that's a pretty good reference for this show. Signature Analytics, Jason Kruger, CPA, great CFO service firm, also more traditional CPAs, Polito Epic CPAs up in San Marcos, California, with my good buddies, Don and... Paul. Also, Joel Grushkin, Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Next on the list, Mechanics Bank, great niche market bank here in San Diego, working with wealthy families and families that own real estate. Sean Puckett, of course, heads up the San Diego region. Also, Hub International, an employee benefits firm. Boy, you talk about a subject that's up in the air with health care reform or not. Hub International can help you there. Also, my good friend Tony Lombardi, I was just on the phone with him. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Also, recent guest, Paul Hines. Paul, of course, is the CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, and he is also, also the catalyst behind SeniorSafeAndSound.org here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial abuse of the elderly. Michelle St. Clair, Elite Lifestyle Management, an amazing concierge service. For those of you who have no time, Michelle and her crew will help you get your most precious asset back, your time. Helping from simple things to the more complicated, elite lifestyle management. And, of course, Brenda Geiger with Geiger Law Office. Brenda Geiger and her attorney specialize in asset protection and estate planning. And for all of you dedicated fans who skipped dinner just to listen to this amazing show, you're getting hungry. Well, we got some suggestions for you there, too, right, Joe? Right. Well, there's a very good food foundation headed up by Michelle Ciccarelli Lyrac with all their great food programs throughout the year. And uh, also, Lestat's Coffee Houses uh, open 24-7, 365, open in Normal Heights, University Heights, and a new one on University Avenue. Great people watching, great music at the original venue at Adams Avenue. And, um, and there you have it. And all these sponsors uh, have been working with Richard for many, many years with great success, with the exception of the last two, because <laughs> those are my sponsors. But... Um, uh, isn't that right, Richard? I mean, yeah, going on three decades. Yeah, but there's tons yeah. of information about them. Where, Joe? Yeah, on iymoney.com. There's a sponsor tab across the top of the page, and you just uh, put your mouse on that in the drop-down menu, and you can learn about any or all. And they're there to serve you, as they have uh, served Richard and his clients uh, over the to- over the many years. And uh, every and if you want to be a sponsor, there's information about how to do that too. Yeah, there's a media kit right there on the front page, and uh, you can see all our awards as well. And uh, great information there. Um, you see all of our demographic uh, information and all that. So well, thank and, you to Courtney for keeping that up. Absolutely. Let's get back to Kenny because uh, this has been a great. Uh, uh, this, this time just flying by. Uh, Kenny Weisberg. If you ever been to Humphreys, you have to thank him. He's the one who really got it off the ground in, in '83 and worked there all the way till about 10 years ago. Uh, it's all in his book called Off My Rocker, which uh, you if you want to learn, <laughs> if you love music and you want to learn about uh, his life. It's all there, and uh, I highly recommend it. It, it, it kept me up uh, most of the night. <laughs> but, uh, Kenny, uh, where do we leave off? We were talking about Croce, Jim Croce, and uh, um, 
Sadly, he passed right after in that plane crash. Actually, ironically, September 20, 1973, which is relevant to the show because Richard uh, was in uh, Houston, Houston, Texas. Houston that Battle night. Battle of the Sexes. Wow. That was September 20. Watching wow. Bobby Briggs and yeah. Billie Jean King uh, play. Well, uh, that's, and of course, that was also the day that Willie Mays announced his retirement. Yeah. But um, anyway, and of course, the film is coming out in September. And we're going to talk about a group event, and we'll get to that uh, in, a, in a future show. But, uh, you know, the one with Steve Carell and Emma Stone. Called, I know that one. Called Battle of Sexes. Great story about Bill Murray in here, Kenny. Geez, are you still in touch with him? No, I, I, that was really a, a quick friendship, uh, but it, it was really incredible. While this, was bef- this is before Humphreys. I mean, this was in... Well, this is while I, uh, in Boulder, I was a music critic. I uh, wrote for the Boulder Daily Camera for four years, a weekly column. And I, I used to get phone calls from readers. Sometimes they hated the column. Sometimes they loved it. And I would get mail, you know, snail mail. And I got a message. Uh, I, I used to return the calls of the women. Uh, <laughs> and the men, I... Uh, you, and well, Larry I King, you and Larry King. <laughs> <laughs> so th- I, I got a message that, that a woman named Mickey had called me, uh, but I didn't know it was a, a woman. I, I, it, it was just Mickey. So I, I called back and a woman answers. And she had been uh, in media in New York. She was the producer of the Howard Cosell TV show, which was sort of short-lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was a, a mover and a shaker. And she said, you know, I, I'm new to Boulder. I'm selling walks out of my, <laughs> my, my apartment. And, and it, could you uh, give me a crash course in the Boulder music scene and the Boulder media scene? Yeah, I, I'll be happy to. And she said, well, my boyfriend's coming to town. He'd like to meet you. And it turned out that her boyfriend was Bill Murray, who had just started on Saturday Night Live. And so he came to town and came came over to my house. Uh, Bill Murray picked records off my shelves and uh, was a guest DJ with me for three hours. And uh, we had a very memorable conversation. And then actually went to his hotel room um, and... He, did, he proceeded to do a, his one-man routine for four of us in mm-hmm. his hotel room. And it, w- it was very memorable for me because when he would get laughs, I, a lot of it was fly by, by the seat of your pants kind of improv, and he'd get laughs, and then he'd get a sticky or uh, you know, and, and a push pin, write the, the joke down, put it in the wall, and by the end of like 20 or 25 minutes, the wall was covered yeah. with his material. Uh, and so... Uh, we we became friends for a while and uh, but I never went anywhere. He married Mickey, and they had two children. And then sadly they got divorced. She moved back to New York and started working for this fledgling company called Home Box Office, <laughs> <laughs> which no one knew what it was. I visited her in the original HBO. Of course, you got to read. The, Kenny's leaving out some details about some of the activities that went on with uh, with Bill Murray, but you got to read the book to get all that. We'll leave uh, we'll leave that. Uh, out of the conversation. So, so Kenny, how did you little, wind your way southwest from Boulder down to San Diego? Well, I, uh, I got, uh, I had a friend uh, in Boulder. We were very good. We played tennis together. We played basketball together. Uh, we played guitar together. Uh, but he was not happy being a psychologist making 12500 a year. So he decided that he was going to become an international cocaine smuggler. Okay. <laughs> and, and he broke, he, he struck it rich. And uh, he moved to California and uh, was eventually busted and did three years in jail. And then he got out of jail and called me up and said, I've gone legit. And I've, I've bought into three companies, uh, one in San Rafael, one in Malibu, and one in San Diego. Okay. And I'd like you to work for me. And he flew me out uh, to San Rafael. That didn't work out, although I love San Rafael. 
And then he flew me down here, and one of the places that this concert company that he was buying mm -hmm. into, uh, they had just started putting shows on at Humphreys. Okay. And Humphreys had like 300 seats at the time and tables, and the, uh, the, the uh, stage was a foot off the ground. But I looked at the property, and I said, this can be your meal ticket. This mm -hmm. is, I, I would move here, to you know, and yeah. no one else in the company cared about Humphreys because it was so small. There and the guy no Jerry Mack was running it, right? And it was called Southland at the time. Southland yeah. And I remember Southland. I don't know about him so much. But anyway, he always wanted to do big arena events. And, of course, yes. you can do those and lose your behind. And, yeah. and my friend, uh, who I call Brent in the book, we're still friends, yeah. but uh, uh, he didn't like the book very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway. Which is uh, why you got to get it, folks. <laughs> he, he won to do Prince and Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel and he wanted to do arena shows so he did three sold out shows with Prince in Long Beach yeah. uh, at the Long Beach and Arena lost money lost two hundred thousand mm. dollars whereas I do one show with Chuck Mangione and make twelve thousand mm -hmm. dollars at a little place like Humphreys yeah and I said how could you not want to develop this and and uh, mm -hmm. he said oh you're not seeing the forest for the trees you're thinking too small but I really loved Humphreys, and, and so I devoted the next 23 years of my life to uh, booking Humphreys. And it was an up-and-down affair over there. Um, um, but, but look, you, you show—and actually, we have to—I have to thank Kenny, although I don't know if he was working there at the time, but uh, I go to see Bill Maher one night, and uh, I turn around and bump into Erwin Jacobs, and that's how we got him on the show, <laughs> that conversation. But I think— um, I think he had already left because um, um, this show didn't launch until 2011. So, and I know you left in 07. I, so. Yeah, no. I, I did. I had Bill Maher early in his career, and he kept coming back to Humphreys. It's good that you had comics. And I, I always kicked myself that I didn't get to see George Carlin. I was going to go that one year, and that was the year he passed. But yeah. he, how many years did he show? I, I had George Carlin like 10 times. And he was the nicest guy yeah. uh, in, in the world. And his manager was, a, you would have loved his manager, Jerry Hamza a real New Yorker, you know, uh -huh. wheeler dealer. And, uh -huh. you know, but, uh, you know I, I developed some great relationships with these people. And uh, when I, uh, George Carlin, the year before I left and the year before he died, I, uh, I, I went up to him and said, well, this, I'm saying goodbye now. You know, I didn't know he was going to die. Yeah. But I shook hands with him. I said, uh, this is the last year of my career. I've given notice. And he goes, wow, they're going to ha yeah. have a tough time filling your shoes. And George I, said that? Yeah. Wow, said, how nice. Nice, nice of you to say. Jerry Seinfeld went up to his home, I guess in his room. He just has a desk, a chair, and a, a typewriter, a computer, and that's it. Not, the whole room is blank where he does his work, so or did his work. Anyway, we'll be back with Kenny Weisberg, legendary concert promoter, etc. at Humphreys after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with Kenny Weisberg, rock singer, music critic, disc jockey, concert promoter, author, and fan. And if you've ever been to Humphreys by the Bay, you owe it all to him, pretty much, wouldn't you say, Kenny? Well, I was uh, important in, in programming the venue for 23 years. Um, before you got there, what were they doing, though? I mean, it was just a... Well, when, when I came out in 1983 and first saw the property, they were doing uh, about a half a dozen shows a year, although they what had kind of, what Jimmy kind of? Buffett was there mm. the year before I got there. But it was mostly smooth, what was now called smooth jazz uh, People so, like Larry so, Carlton. So, and, so ticket prices when you started were what as opposed to what they are now? Because uh, that comes out in the book. <laughs> right. When, when I, my first year uh, in 1984, the average ticket price was $13. <laughs> and I thought that was sort of high. <laughs> and when I left in 2007, I think the average ticket price was 57 And now who knows what it is. Uh, and yeah, but, but Joe, you know, we, we couldn't, we wanted to go down to Humphreys to see um, ZZ Top. My wife, Mary, and I, a couple mm -hmm. years ago, we, 
And the, the concert was sold out, but they had rooms available. So we just booked the room for like 149 bucks. Well, the other thing is if you know somebody with a boat, <laughs> I see people with kayaks and rafts and everything. It's a flotilla out there, yeah. and you don't have to pay anything, but, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, the, the book talks about the boat people, and, and you know, the Harry Belafonte used to sing, Day-o, and then the <laughs> people in the boats would come back, Day-o. You know, there was, and, and Roseanne uh, Barr would call them cheap, expletive deleted, you know. <laughs> And and so people had fun with that, and a lot of people wanted us to build uh, oh barriers, build a, oh. build a wall, Let's build, a, build wall. a wall. Yeah. No <laughs> way, no way, Jose. <laughs> hey, uh, tell us about. Now, speaking of um, you know live concerts and, and Ray Charles and the Bird, tell us about that because that's a great story. Okay, well Ray, Ray Charles came to home. I think I had twenty five Ray Charles dates over over the years, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a regular. And uh, there was one night that he was singing one of his tender ballads. I, I don't know if it was Georgia or something like it. And it was, you could hear a pin drop. And all of a sudden there was uh, a, a noise uh, audible. And, uh, and, and Ray Charles looks, uh, you know, in quotes to the audience and he starts singing again. And, and, and he stopped the show and looked at the audience and, and he said, you know, something uh, I get paid a lot of money to do this, and if you don't like it and you don't want to be here, then go home. And <laughs> he was really in a bad mood, and his manager runs out to the stage and whispers to him, it's a bird, Mr. Charles. It's a bird. And it was an egret that was nested. It's in called one, Eleanor. And is, uh, the Eleanor bird. the egret, yeah. And she's there quite a bit making noise. Yes, and, and they eventually had to cut back the tree and, and repopulate her somehow. But yeah. Uh, she was a regular at Humphreys, and it, and funny. and did interrupt. A, you know, there were some soft acoustic guitar concerts <laughs> on occasion, and there would be Eleanor, and, and so it we, reminds me of Starlight Bowl when you know the planes fly right. over. You got to stop the show for gosh sakes, but uh, well, yeah, that's funny. So anyway, Ray did finish the show. Yes. With band, oh, he but, said, yeah. "Let me." Uh, he started laughing, and he said, "Oh, let 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 this old man bring out the Raylets to help me finish the show." <laughs> Now, Tom Waits, you kind of discovered him, uh, the gravelly-voiced. Uh, he's still around, isn't he? Or? Oh, yeah. He do, he rarely performs. Yeah. It, it's been years since he performed. Uh, but uh, in Boulder, uh, he was the, the favorite opening act. Uh, my, a friend of mine, Chuck Morris, who's a big promoter in Colorado, would bring Tom Waits to open for everyone from Roger McGuinn to John Stewart, to not the comedian John yeah. Stewart, the singer. Uh, and... You could tell how unique he was, and uh, it turns out that he's from San Diego. He grew up in National City. Yeah, and I guess he played in a little club on Mission Boulevard called The Heritage in the 60s, which is not there anymore. It's a, I think it's a bar now. Yeah, he but. eventually started going to open mic nights at the Troubadour. He would take the bus up and you know to do his five minutes at 3 in the morning Isn't and was so. discovered by Frank Zappa's manager, Herb Cohen, and... And of course, his music got recorded by other people, too. He got into the publishing a little bit, right? Yeah, and the irony about that is I became friends with Tom Waits because I did three newspaper articles and three radio interviews with him in Boulder. And uh, when I came to San Diego, I, I tried reaching him to you know, play Humphreys, play Humphreys, because he, ne- he hasn't played San Diego since the Heritage Coffee Shop. Or no, he played the Roxy in Pacific Beach uh-huh. in the late 70s. Which is now the PB Post Office. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's never been back, and I kept trying to, to get him to come back, and uh, he said, I, uh, I don't want to play San Diego. I guess yeah. he, did, he didn't want to deal with the guest list requests. Something like that. But anyway, um, and a lot of his music, some of his music has been recorded by other artists so as well, right? Um, 
Yeah, oh, I think innumerable. I, uh, no, nothing's coming to the top yeah. of my head right now. I know the Eagles recorded a couple of those yeah, songs. Eagles yeah, Eagles did Old 55. Yeah, old 55. And well, that's where the money is in music and publishing. I don't know about any more, but, I mean, back in the day, uh, publishing was where the bucks are, right? Yeah, that's the first advice that you, you give an aspiring singer-songwriter. Uh, don't sell your publishing because too many people have, and yeah. they're broken, the people that bought the publishing. Well, look the what's now the... the uh, um, Michael Jackson bought the Beatles book, yeah. and for like everyone thought fifty million was a lot of money. It's worth like what a billion now, or yeah. some crazy amount. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a crazy business. We don't have time to talk about the nuances of the music business, but it's it's not for the faint of heart. Oh my gosh, yeah. You think you have a deal when you don't, and that's in the book too. Uh, yes. Handshakes mean nothing, except in the case with Richard Bartelli. I guess you guys worked on a handshake. We worked on a handshake deal all, all the, uh, for uh, over 20 years. All those years, despite the roller coaster ride. Well, showbiz is a roller coaster. I mean, look, when you buy your ticket and go in to see a show, folks, and you know, and you get entertained, you have no idea how how the whole thing comes together, and sometimes it falls apart too. But yeah, I I think I go over the the, the good and the bad and the ugly in in my book off my rocker. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I really have to, um, you know, my hats off to you for being so. I mean, my my comment to you was TMI. I mean, there's very little uh, detail that you leave out of you know your your personal trials, tribulations, uh, the ups and downs. Uh, so glad that you've you know able to get clean and get fit and you're you're yeah. still working out and well, uh, I, yeah and I owe I owe a lot to my wife who I write a lot about in the book somehow throughout all this craziness of of my music career uh, I've been with the same woman married for close to forty five years. years yeah, yeah. that probably without uh, without Helen uh, I, I'd be dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> she keeps reminding me of that yeah I was gonna say. Well, I was always a big fan of comedy. I saw a lot of acts in the improv. Uh, um, but you've had Roseanne and you've had uh, George Carlin. Who are some of the other? Uh, uh, Cosby, he charged a lot, didn't he? Yeah, Cosby uh, was there for many years. And uh, actually, that's so, so pathetic and sad, but uh, he was very nice, very mm-hmm. nice to deal with. I, I've had all the Saturday Night Live guys, Dana Carvey, for uh, 10 times. Chopping and, broccoli? Yeah. And <laughs> Did he have a piano? Dennis Miller before he went right wing, and I, oh, I just sort of lost touch with him. And That's the one night uh, Robin Williams shows up at the Improv. I think it was about the mid-'80s, and uh, Dennis was headlining that night, and uh, Robin was going to do a guest set. Well, he gets up there and does like an hour and kills the place. Miller goes up there, and the audience was spent. He can only do five. He was the headliner. He goes, I'm sorry, I, you know, five minutes, I can't follow that. And, the show was over. Yeah. But they got their money's worth, believe me. <laughs> the, the, the first condo that I lived in uh, on uh, Hornblend, I think, uh, where I, I, I lived in the, the condo owned by the company that I was working for, and it used to be the one where the comedian stayed. The, the, well, the, the one for Comedy store. store, I think, though, yeah. right? That was See by, see the Sea by the Sea or something? Yeah, or, I, and I, Mitzi had one. Oh, I guess you know Mark had one, too, for the improv comics. Yeah. Yeah, it was on Hornblend. Yeah, but that must have been something when they came home in two and three in the morning, right, uh, making a lot of noise. And yeah, uh, it was, living in Pacific Beach for my first four months in San Diego was an out-of-body experience. <laughs> <laughs> Point Loma is much more palatable. Well, if you get over to the Pete's in, in Point Loma there, you, know, you can see Kenny almost any morning when he's on his yeah, morning walks. And I know he posts a lot about the sunsets. He's just enjoying nature, enjoying life. Um, Family, uh, your your stepchildren are back. You still on the East Coast, or yeah, I, I have uh, a daughter and several grandchildren in uh, Arcata, California, which is uh, up north near Eureka, and uh, son still lives in Boulder. Where's and Roger? 
Uh, my brother Roger's in Chicago. My okay. s- sister Ellen's in New York City. So uh, m- most of my spare time is spent visiting family really? in all these exotic places. Yeah. <laughs> Arcata. Joe, Joe's trying to talk me in, into coming out of retirement. I, I we're going to leave the <laughs> show, am. and he's going to give me all all these new ideas. We're, yeah, we're going to have coffee, Kenny, because uh, we have to talk. You have too much too much talent, too much history, and uh, you know we've just scratched the surface today, folks. But get the book off my rocker by Kenny Weisberg. You won't regret it. Uh, it's a great story. Kenny from Weisberg, thanks for being our guest. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Yep. It was a pleasure, Kenny. Thank you. Yeah, Richard, Misi, always great seeing you. Everybody Just- stay cool. Yes, Justin Hart, our board operator. Thanks for making it sound terrific. Thanks to um, Dave Sniff and Craig Blakey your KFMB for all their help. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iowamoney.com. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.